Welcome to the pod, everyone. A shout out to SGS. Hey, Rusty, why are we uh, partnering with SGS? Uh, uh, some, some, some good people there. Pretty excited about their sports coaching courses and sports courses. Keen to make them industry ready so when people leave, they're able to go and transfer it to any kind of industries, coaching, teaching, being an analyst, business, whatever it might be. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting times, really. So what's so special about their degree courses that others won't be doing? I think it'll be lots of uh, real good partnerships, uh, opportunities for people to, to get into different contexts and learn and practice. It'll be feel very applied. People will be stretched and supported and will leave you know, ready to just go and thrive in the uh, big old world out there. SGS College is the home of Bristol's higher education sports programmes. The programmes are designed to develop unique, innovative and creative sports practitioners ready for industry. Do you want to be a coach or teacher of the future? Start your journey here at SGS College and become more than just a graduate. Visit sgscol.ac.uk to apply now. Uh, Ollie Runswick, uh, roommate, uh, <laughs> big district uh, 2022 how the devil are you <laughs> i'm the devil well thank you how are you good um, i actually shout out so the devil's yeah. hour have you seen it it's on prime tv um it's a, i'm giving it as a shout out to anyone to watch oh i haven't seen it actually the devil's hour so get yourself sat down once you drive the dog once you drive the dog out sit down he, and, uh, he's sitting there in the background sulking he's still soaking wet it stinks in here now nice. <laughs> And uh, mate, a, a, a friend of the yeah. pod, you've got a second series. Yeah, second visit. I'm privileged. Um, why do you think you've got a second series? Oh, because I said some interesting stuff that you liked in the Peak District, <laughs> and now we're back. You always say interesting <laughs> stuff. Um, uh, you want to give a quick uh, intro, and then let's talk about NASA. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, so life started as a, as a coach back in the day when I was when I was a kid. Um, and now I am a kind of skill act person at King's College London. And I do a bit of consultancy work with coaches and different organisations, but the journey has been a winding one in between. Studied, uh, did some coaching, studied sports science, got really into how people learn to do stuff and learn to move. Went over to the Netherlands and studied human movement sciences there um, at the Free University of Amsterdam. And then I did a PhD in anticipation in cricket, um, kind of off the back of that, got really into my research when I was in the Netherlands. I actually got injured myself and kind of started doing some other stuff. And that was the start of the journey. And then started teaching neuroscience and psychology in the evenings during my PhD at Imperial College because I'm pretty interested in psychology and the brain in general, as well as in the sports and skill learning domain so I also have a master's degree in psychology um, and I'm a chartered psychologist with the BPS and I'm also an accredited sports scientist so I kind of always try and keep both going then I became a lecturer in University of Chichester in uh, skill acquisition and then moved to King's College London where I'm in the Institute of Psychiatry Psychology and Neuroscience um, as a lecturer in performance psychology where I kind of teach sports medicine and psychology students about everything around sports psychology but obviously I angle it a bit more towards my personal interests in skill learning and me and Rusty know each other from our work with um, the women's pathway in cricket um, and hang out together once a year in the Peak District and have a great time um, 
So we've been both kind of working with uh, the talent managers over there and talking about skill acquisition for me and Rusty, all sorts of other amazing things as well. They're a good group, aren't they? They're a great group. I'm sure when we get together, we say we must do this more often. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, shout out to Diana and uh, the great work she's doing. Absolutely. Um, and uh, and again, you are like you. I wrote down two words. I wrote down geek and nerd. <laughs> no, I love that. I I'll love own those, that. You would love those words, wouldn't you? Like I would love yeah. those words. Yeah, yeah. I'm a nerd. Um, I love it. <laughs> I'm interested in too many things, Rusty. It becomes pretty challenging sometimes. Same as you. Yeah. Lying in bed listening to our uh, economics podcast or whatever it was last time. Yeah. That's a true story. Well done. That is, yeah. that is ultimate geekery. Like yeah. people are having beers and we're laying in bed listening to economics podcast. <laughs> oh, strange days, eh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and, and 32 or 30, are still 31, 32 yet? I'm 31, yeah. Your, when's your birthday? March 14th. Everyone send me a card. Beautiful. <laughs> Isn't that like St. David's Day or something March 14th? Oh, I actually don't know. Well, I'll Google it later. I'll Google yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome. And actually, the last step, yeah. before we get into some of the sports yeah. stuff, like, I loved your, your problem around we, in the space station. There's a couple of problems they have. One is, like, socialising, and the other one is, like... Uh, how much does kind of strength uh, degrade? Was that what it was over time? And so yeah. uh, what are people's possible solutions to that? And I liked, have they adopted the solution you were speaking about? Yeah, we're still working on it, actually. This was a kind of um, a big collaboration. There's lots of people who know a lot more about space flight than me involved as well. But the problem is a renewed focus on long-term space flight, long missions, going to Mars, actual people, potentially living uh, on a lunar station as well uh, as a kind of stop off on the way. So there's been a kind of push in research in what's going on in long-term space flight. Um, and there's loads of different issues um, to do with the human element of that. Um, one primary one, obviously being social, um, and then also skill degradation uh, low gravity uh, and what can happen obviously we know people will work out on the space station for example um but there's lots and lots of other kind of issues particularly around like maintaining motor skills and being able to produce the right kind of force and that kind of thing so i was chatting to um there's, there's a center of human and applied physiology at king's who work in aerospace um so some of the team there um got me a bit involved with um some aerospace type things. We're also on a project around para astronauts as well, run by that team uh, about um, potentially there being an advantage for some kind of impairments uh, for space flight as well. Um, so lots of interesting work going on there, but this was around getting some opinions on solutions to those problems around social interaction, psychological elements um, of that, but also integrating the motor skill stuff that I'm particularly interested in, degradation of skills and, we chatted about some solutions, and it wasn't my idea. Uh, one of my. Yeah, uh, should we leave it to the end of the pod? Oh yeah, all right. Yeah, who so can come up with? Uh, a bit of a, just remind me. Yeah, love that. Think about what their solution would be, and we'll we'll do a big reveal at the end. Yeah, love that. Um, I've heard a variety of different um, ideas. We actually did a presentation at late at the Science Museum. If anyone's ever gone, where uh, everyone has a few beers 
adults only uh, and there's exhibitions and stuff going on in the science museum so we went and posed our problem to a whole load of the general public there as well and hold, heard lots of interesting ideas um, but yeah still going forward we've written a paper about it which um, it's kind of in the process right now team of just as a little clue for everyone we've got physiologists we've got anthropologists we've got sociologists we've got me um, and we've got engineers um, and space flight experts mostly at the european space agency in this team um, so that is a kind of rogue group of people for you to think about the kind of solutions that we might be looking at how, how might their thinking be channeled? That's interesting. Good. Yeah, I'd say don't think about the, don't think too much about technology. Think about people, what people want, and what yeah, people I was do. Going to go a big shout out to the anthropologist, really. Yeah, yeah. There's some very cool anthropology work going on at UCL in space flight as well. If you everyone, anyone wants to look it up, just type in UCL anthropology space, and you'll see some really cool stuff. Right. Uh, you, we are now at geek level 11. Sorry, everyone, yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> and let's talk, uh, so you've been, uh, you've been doing a bit of stuff around VR, but more generally, yeah. actually connected you with Cam the other day at Loughborough, and I think mm -hmm. he enjoyed it, and he's looking at it in tennis, like clearly, yeah. like, especially in those type of more individual sports, there's, yeah. um, you, you might be able to coach that stuff a little bit. There might be less... Um, variables going on, I guess, or, or less things to look for. Um, yeah. What do you? Um, what I mean, if you, if you were coaching rugby, so I'm going to take the stuff you know from from your your other stuff, mm -hmm. and I'm going to say, right, tomorrow you're coaching rugby with some kids. Yeah. How are you, how are you going to coach anticipation? Yeah, that's a really good question. Cam asked me an interesting question, which was, how do we do the overload for anticipation? Um, which I'm not used no, to that kind. Do you want to start with Cam's question? Yeah, I mean, it's it re it's related, though. Like, how are we actually going to specifically target anticipation in our training? Um, we had some conversations there, and it would be relevant to the rugby question around understanding what information we want players to take notice of. There's an awful lot going on um, in the environment during a rugby game. Some of it's important and some of it's not. Um, you might have some if-then rules for decision-making, for example, where you might say, look, if the fullback's there, if they are, pass it, if they're not, kick it, like a simple kind of decision-making approach. But then you've actually identified the most important source of information for that decision, which is the location of the fullback, for example. So in anticipation where literature, regardless of which kind of like approaches you're taking, generally the first step is what information is important. Um so if I'm coaching some kids in rugby, I might be saying, right, well, let's try and do something interesting in a real basic one would be a one-to-one -one tackling situation where we might say, well, let's try and work out which types of information are important. I want you to try and get around this guy one-on-one -on -one or this girl one-on-one -on -one in as many different ways as you can. Do some funky maneuvers, be creative, do some dance moves, and we'll work out which one's deceive or which ones you can read and which ones you can't and then have a conversation about where we think we're getting good information from in that scenario which in rugby that might be for example hip direction i imagine or something like that yeah um, looking at the hips would be quite helpful yeah so then we might say well how can we get someone's attention onto the hips um you could tell them to look at it but we don't have a lot of conscious control over our gaze during play we might do a bit but we you know i've seen people um wearing fluorescent clothes i've seen 
people have numbers they have to read off different parts of the body. I've seen people, um, actually some colleagues made some shorts, which made it hard to see hip direction for, uh, for, um, penalty kicks in football. Like this was many years ago, actually. Um, and I'd be thinking, right. So that's one thing that might be interesting piece of information. How can we make people just notice that bit of information more? And by getting them to notice it, we're going to be helping their anticipation skills. The other element is going to be obviously then understanding when when you actually have to make an anticipatory judgment. You actually don't have to do it that often in most sports. Like something like baseball or cricket, where you where if you've got a fast bowler, you pretty much always need to be doing it. But in tennis, a lot of times you can wait for the ball to be coming towards you, particularly if you're fast enough. So if you've got a defender who's really quick, then you might not need to anticipate or you might actually be able to just wait for the opponent to make that move and you can still make the tackle. Um, so linking it in with your own abilities is quite important. Um, but also then I'd be going, right, well, in that one-on-one -on -one situation, cool. We could just look at the opponent's hips or we could just make them go the way that we want. Imagine that. Imagine if you could say <laughs> to them what they do. I'd be like, well, which side do you like to tackle with? Cool. Well, stab, you step that way, they'll step that way. So you're then entering another information source, which is you, into the picture. And then you'll start to realize then, well, actually, well, do we know the preferences of the opponent, which might be they like to step to the left or step to the right? We might already know that as well. So we're trying to force them in their bad direction, align it with our good tackle direction. Then things get complicated because there's loads and loads of different information sources. So if I was working with kids, like you said, I'd probably like pick one. But maybe actually we don't do the visual stuff and we say, well, what's the score? Who's your opponent? What are they likely to do in this situation? Are you facing a person who's much bigger than you? They're probably going to try and run you over or are you facing a person who's much faster than you? Those little bits of information which aren't visual, they're just about your knowledge of the game and your knowledge of the opponents. Might We might try and have a look at those. And it might be as simple as exposing players to people from different positions who they might normally be tackling. So they'll start to notice things rather than just explicit conversation um, but within all of this trying to get the information that you think is important to someone making a prediction into training is the fundamental thing how you do that will be based on who you've got what level of player they are what kind of things you're working on in your overall schedule at that point in time <clears throat> so you might be working tactically but actually understanding the opponent's style of play is going to again be something that you need to no for making good judgments um it might be that actually getting a bit faster getting a bit stronger will help you because you can wait for longer and the later information is more reliable so the fundamental is what information is available in a game that's helpful how do we get that into training and the way we do that's going to be dependent on who we're training what kind of things we're working on have you ever done some, anything like that yourself rusty it's a great question um i've been writing stuff down yeah. And then you spoke about like tennis players uh, wearing yeah. a, a, like a fluorescent wristband that would like maybe focus people's attention. Uh, Fletch wanted to bring in a pair of shorts that were, oh, he had a name and he was like, keep it safe, head in the, like, it was something like yeah. that, but he was really like yeah. trying to draw people's attention towards a useful area. Yeah, um, yeah I would ask people a lot. Um, I'm just going to talk yeah. about a couple of things you said. Sure. I, would, I would predominantly try and coach dictating. So, like, mm -hmm. what have you noticed about like what what do that what are their preferences? What are your preferences? How can we impose our stuff on them? So, if it's yeah. the, the big player who wants to run over you, 
and we stop them getting to speed. So yeah. what ways can we do that? Um, I think what you spoke about, about individualizing is, mm. is super important to me. And then the other thing you spoke about, which might be where we go with cam stuff is just exaggerating the problem. So yeah. if, if they can jog and I, in, in attack and I can run in def- and walk in defense mm. and it's, you know, then I, I, it might be a small, smaller yeah. area. Then I, I need to be able to like think ahead. I need to dictate really. I can't be that reactive. To yeah. people. So slowing people down. So having one team who can jog and one yeah. team who can only walk, but have still got to like defend yeah. is probably like going to make them, it'll make them scan for more information. I think mm. the other stuff that I was thinking a lot about was I'll tend to ask experts. So I'll go, um, George Ford, sideline rook. Like, if you could only, you know, what are the two or three things you're looking for? Yeah. Okay, cool. Like, uh, does that change? So, does that change in different weather conditions? So, your if then stuff, I'd probably try and get into that a bit. Yeah. Um, I, I think that like what you've just said just like shows you can't really necessarily detract anticipation from decision making either. Like, you're going to have to try and work your options at the same time. Did a study recently with um, professional cricketers where we kind of gave them different scenarios and interviewed them, it, but the bowler and the batter on the same scenarios uh, to get that to and fro. And you know they're saying, well, he, well, here's my best shot or my best option at this point in time. This is what I'm best at. Here's the two or three things they might do. This is most likely. This is then next most likely. This is next most likely. If he does this, then I, I might do that. And then it's about then if that doesn't happen, what's my next option? And this idea that um, in cricket, especially like premeditating is seen as like a terrible idea traditionally, but actually if you talk to high level players who are playing uh, especially short format, it's all about thinking about the list of options that might happen based on the key information of, for example, the score, the time in the game, the field. A classic example in rugby, which of, of the non-visual information telling you exactly what's going to happen is when the clock's gone red. Whatever you're looking at, if you're winning the game, you've got the ball, so the other person's probably going to kick it off the pitch. Um, so, but like you say, that kind of walking versus jogging, like you have to be making a choice which then is going to make the information more reliable in your favor. So me stepping to the left means picking up cues from his hips that he's going to go to the right is super reliable because it's almost definitely going to happen because I've blocked the other option. If I stand still and I see his hips going to the right, it's less reliable because there's still the option open that he might go left and it might be more deceptive. So you're kind of being able to use your own actions in order to make things more or less likely and make things more or less reliable. And people will do stuff then in order to, in situations where it's really unlikely to try and deceive you and you get this really interesting to and fro. It's all based on the information. So if you're playing rugby in training without all those different bits of information, you're probably not training those skills. Cool. And and then, mate, I've gone off in a million tangents. The first one is like, so if you haven't got the best players, yeah, and you probably want to be giving people problems, they don't see that often in training. So you do yeah. what Italy did against England, and and actually people don't know where to look or what to do because they've actually yeah. not seen those problems before. Yeah. I guess that that does happen in, um, well, that would happen in cricket and tennis every so often. There's some kind of innovation, yeah. isn't there? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, 
and I think understanding that it can happen with stuff that you you don't see, like the interaction between, sure, you can, people would normally think about like deception as being really good at dropping the shoulder or rolling your fingers over a ball in cricket or being able to do something with your body that makes the ball look like it's going the other way. But actually, a lot of it's going to be to do with all the other stuff that's going on. Where's the ruck on the field? Who's there at first receiver? who's in the ruck from my side. So I know that they might be looking at a weakness in, in our defense. You know, all of those things are all playing a role, not just the one person that you're looking at their body. Oh, mate, I've gone on so many tangents there. I'm thinking about implications for coaches. So yeah. like coaching deception is high value in my opinion. I'm really surprised why when I see experts, yeah, I'm not a relative experts in lots of sports. Mm. And I'm thinking, why aren't we coaching them deception? Yeah. Um, they're already really good at like passing a ball to someone 20 yards away. Let's see how they can do, do it with their eyes looking in another direction or slightly yeah. change their body so they look like they're passing it another way. And then everyone marvels at Finn Russell. And I just yeah. tried to match then and I was like, yeah. like, you know, hundreds of junior rugby players that would do that. They just have it taken away from them because it doesn't look like normal. Yeah. Was a- and, if the- and as soon as they lose the ball doing that, someone gets fuming. Yeah, there's a picture the other day I put on Twitter the other day. Yeah, he said, oh, it's like the perfect passing position, and I thought, well, it's not because he's looking in the direction of the pass. Yeah, like the perfect passing position. You are you are looking the other way. It's a perfect passing position for me to know exactly where the ball's going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> then I started thinking about like, um, oh, man, so much stuff. Like, I'm starting to think of implications for coaches. So yeah. How often do we? So again, I watched some coaches uh, coach the other day with another coach and said, "Let's just let's just like notice how much that coach speaks about like the pictures in front." Yeah. As a you know, and, and maybe also dictating so as influencing the pictures in front versus where we stand relative to one another, uh, irrespective yeah. of the pictures in front. And so I, I actually don't think we're talking that much about what are people looking for. Probably yeah. not helping them be really specific. So we might go, just remember, everyone look at the picture in front. And everyone's looking like... What am I looking for? Yeah, you're looking at the dog at the bottom. I'm yeah. looking at the sun. Someone's looking at the clouds. Yeah, so. so I've actually done some work looking at this in that exact question where um, we were showing people field settings in cricket and everyone knows what's there. Everyone's like, well, th- th- those people are over there. And then the people who are less skilled are going, well, I know where they are, but I have no idea what it means. But so you have to know which bits are important, but also just link them to an actual potential thing that's going to happen in the future. Anyone can say, well, I can see this is what's in front of me. But that, well, what does it actually mean? Because you you might say to a player, oh, did you not notice that person lined up there? And they'd be like, yeah, I did. But why didn't you do this? I'm like, well, I didn't know that that next step is actually that level of meaning is the thing that, that you see in the real experts. And it might mean a lot of different things and actually give you a lot of cues about loads of stuff that might happen. And I just spoke to Fletch and let's talk about, so Finn Russell, mm. he said, Cam Redpath, and uh, he was chatting to Cam Redpath, he'd sat down with Finn Russell and they said his level of information in the game mm. and like the clarity of it, he's not like had anything like it before. So that ability to, to, as you said, like, what does this mean for us as a team? How yeah. are we going to, you know, and he's 
he's made like four clean line breaks at the weekend for Scotland yeah. and pretty much won them. Yeah. yeah. Tell you what would be a good watch for people. The um, NFL for a while did film room interviews with players um, from a, from both sides of the ball. And you'd have, for example, a linebacker who's playing in defence saying, right, well, it's they've got eight yards to go. It's third down, we're losing. First thing to know. Next thing to look at, formation. Well, I know in this formation, they run this play this amount of times, this play this amount of times. But I can see from this player, he's got more weight on his left leg than his right leg. So it's extremely likely they're going to run in that direction. But I know from the player who's in the backfield that he's not much of a, a runner through the tackle, so they might actually do a fake run and then a pass. And they're having that conversation the entire time. Um, and it's actually really interesting to watch people talk through it. And then you'll hear the person on the other side of the ball going, well, actually, I can see the linebackers pick this because I can see they've actually shifted their position a little bit. So now I'm going to change everything. And this to and fro and the, the just hearing all the different sources of information is really interesting. And then starting to think about what the information might be in your setting. Um, and NFL is a little bit unique because everything is happening at stationary before before it starts. So you can stop it and talk about what's happening and then start again. But just hearing the information sources and that kind of feature of getting really high-level players in and just saying, well, what did you see in this? And they'd say, well, actually, it was really obvious to me. And then you made an interception, but... I was always going to make an interception because I knew exactly what was happening before they even snapped the ball. There's a player called Luke Keekley who played linebacker for the Carolina Panthers who um, was like renowned for being like incredible at reading the game. And there's some really interesting stuff there you could look at for this kind of, um, this kind of question. The other thing we get though, is like, we don't actually really know how to train anticipation. Like it's so hard to actually like segregate the effects of what we're doing from all the other training that people are doing that there's not loads of like literature on exactly how to do it, but there's loads of literature on how it works and how experts think about the game, but not necessarily how to get people to do that. Um, but, you know, seeing lots and lots of game scenarios seems to be a sensible thing to do if you're getting all the information in training. Um, but then being specific about it as well, like not just playing the game and being like, well, I can't believe you didn't notice that because, you know, that might be something no one's ever understood before. Hey, Will, you tell everyone what you're up to at Core 37. Hi, Fletch. We're a teamwear brand based in the Northeast and we're the sister company of Oddballs. We've got the largest sports sublimation factory in the UK and we've produced for the biggest brands in Europe over the past seven years. But with Core 37, our in-house brand, you can now access those prices direct to the customer. Why would people use Core 37? Uh, if I was to pick three, Fletch, it would be our lead time of three to four weeks, our price, which is lower than anybody else in the industry, and the fact that we're made here in the UK. What's the stuff you're most proud of with Core 37? Oh, there's loads of stuff, but the, the key one for me would be working for a company that, that genuinely believes in its own mission statement, which is to produce performance sportswear at an affordable price. And then underpinning that is the people. Everybody who works here is involved in grassroots sport in some way. And so we generally care about what we're doing here. Fletch, why do you want to partner with Core 37? Uh, apart from the fact you're a Geordie, uh, great people, uh, lots of people involved in sport, really affordable and top quality. Thanks for joining us, Wilkie. Anyone who wants to find out more can go and have a play on their website at core-37.com or they can reach out directly to tom at core-37.com. Mate, I've got loads of more threads. And I'm yeah. going to throw some stuff at you. Again, Go for it. You're going to choose what you, 
you know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we've done that. So done it with uh, yeah. with uh, Danny Kerr, Marcus Smith, Fraser Dingwell. Yeah. Uh, with, with Dingers, I play guess the backs move. So nice. here's, here's how they're set up. I'll show you yeah. the first second yeah. of motion. Where's it going, and what have you noticed? Oh well, this player looks disengaged. Uh, unless he's deceiving me, which I don't think he will be. Yeah. This player's like on his right foot, ready to go forward. He's he's leading forwards already, so he's going to be the front ball option. Like just real clarity yeah. on that stuff. That again, then then he, it's not surprising he's stepping in and banging people. Yeah. And I, I start think. Thinking, well, oh, you, I was just going to say first thread, the first thread. It's gone already. Yeah. No. Just one point on the first thread. There's a lot of good players who can't really verbalise all of those things. Cool. Tell me about that. Um, you know, when we're testing England pathway cricketers, for example, they might get every single one right, but be saying, well, I don't really think about it, to be honest. And not being able to talk about those things, but also, but certainly being able to notice them, which is one of the reasons we use different research methods, like eye tracking, for example, because so we can see what they're looking at without them realising. But yeah, those sort of things are really interesting, but don't be afraid if a player can't tell you that if they're still getting it right. Yeah, don't put them off. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought, like, to what extent do we want our players to, like, think like coaches and to be having these type of conversations around, like, because then I start thinking about, like, the coaching skills required for this. So, like, much more freezes. So, that ability for them to go freeze. Cool. Can everyone see the same picture here? Like, can everyone, is everyone looking at the same part of this picture? Can we see what's about to happen in three seconds? It's pretty exciting, isn't it? Um, actually, it was with uh, over in Ulster, and they came with quite a good one of when they were teaching new stuff to to um, uh, to players around defence. Each player would have a freeze to to freeze the game and go. This defence is like it's like eleven out of ten at the moment. Like yeah. we're in really good positions to go and get the ball back in three seconds, everyone. Just so everyone knows. <laughs> um, I was thinking about replays, like having another go at that thing. All too often, we get. I guess seduced by playing games and maybe we don't we miss a, an important moment where perhaps some people haven't like seen the same picture yeah. um, and then started thinking a bit about like where we look as coaches we need to look at people's eyes more often how we design scoring systems because defense coaches attack yeah. uh, I was thinking about like how good our questioning is around what are you, you know what are you looking for or what helped or yeah. all those type of questions yeah, I would just note on the um, on the replays, like it's going to depend where you are and your overall kind of structure. Like if we're preparing for, a, like we're near the season, we're trying to transfer things into a game situation, we might not want to be doing that. Cool. I agree. Um, so I just be careful about, you know, if we're working something in the off season or we're trying to develop this, this skill in a certain kind of phase of our training, then great. But if we're trying to get this stuff transferred to be ready for a game, stopping and trying it over and over again isn't necessarily going to be particularly useful. I'm not talking about stopping because uh, they yeah. all come with costs, don't they? So, like, yeah. they might take time. We might not yeah, get yeah. in that situation. But I guess, like, if they could have three replays in the session, when would they use them to maximize learning? Yeah, yeah. It also got me thinking a lot about, like, um, I end up like getting quite frustrated, if I'm honest, with rugby yeah. and like, we have like labels around the ruck. So you you sound like you know what you're talking about rugby. So I'm going to go with this. Um, like people will call like guard A, B, you know, they call 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. But it's not, I, I think there's more helpful information to share around like, come closer to me. I've got this player. Look, the, the, the man out the back, he's calling for it. He's going to get the ball. 
but sometimes we're like looking around us to to and and, and maybe the information could be richer i don't know what your views are on that yeah i don't know loads about rugby but i do think we often have kind of culturally or historically driven things that we we point out or we say that actually the game might be being played in a different fashion or the opponents might be playing in a different fashion there might be something more useful that you can say um it doesn't have to be in a code it doesn't have to be a or 10 or b or 20 you could there's nothing wrong with literally saying i think this person's going to do this yeah if anything it's going to make mess with them even more than you shouting something that they don't understand um and i think that like being clear practicing that having certain things that you might say for certain certain bits of information that are useful i i completely agree like there, there's often a kind of well we'll have this conversation because that's what we do but actually there might be something much more useful happening somewhere else that would be beneficial and again it's about identifying what the most important information is for that scenario and again i just want to reinforce like that's yeah. individual isn't it because the reality in rugby is if someone's been banned from kicking all their life and can't kick. So I guess the, the, yeah. the flip of that is that the more skilled we make our players, the more kind of, um, I guess, things they'll see and then op options they have to kind of make meaning of that to then, you know, create a line break, get the ball back, whatever whatever outcome they're looking for. Yeah, I agree. Are you, um, are you surprised? It's interesting, I guess, with, um, with, with cricket as well, like, to what extent do, do you, is it like, well, I'll hear a lot of stuff in cricket that I'll hear in rugby. Like, we've got to do the basics first, which, you know, just to perhaps are like, um, I, I, of course, I understand you've got to be able to defend your stunts. Um, but we rarely move in rugby beyond like line passing, you know, with a certain way of passing. And perhaps we only like allow people to, or encourage people to kick with one of their feet. I think that's like quite frankly ridiculous. Come on. Yeah. I mean, there's really no background of people learning to throw with both hands, which would be incredibly, incredibly important if you could do that as a fielder in cricket, but it's not really a thing. Can't really do it in baseball because like, if someone wears a glove, but there's plenty of people who bat both ways around in baseball as well, which has started to become a thing in cricket. And there is a move away from like learn how to do your forward defense towards now as a young kid. Well, we want you to learn how to hit it as far as you possibly can in as many different directions as possible and we'll deal with the rest later um and i think cricket's moved quite well in that direction um but i would say there's still a very real focus on certain shots looking a certain way um like a classical approach to to batting for example or certain bowling looking in a certain way um but there has been a move for example in bowling like bowl fast first bowl accurately second which um, is a bit of a change over my kind of life in cricket, for sure. Um, so things are moving, I would say, in a good direction. But yeah, the the next level of like the game's changed so fast in the last kind of decade in cricket that there's a whole, you know, when we're working with young players on high level pathways at the moment, they're saying, well, option number one for me in this situation is a ramp which is hitting it backwards over your head over the keeper, and that, which is a shot that didn't exist when I started playing cricket. Like, no one had ever thought to do it before. Um, so you're seeing a really interesting like innovation. Now young people are playing these creative shots, playing in all different directions around the ground. Um, 
and also being encouraged to do so, um, hopefully, not always. Um, yeah, because there's a, there's a reasonable coaching skill there, isn't there, in terms mm-hmm. of like patience and how you react when stuff doesn't go so well and yeah. supporting people when they're, they're, yeah. they're finding that stuff hard yeah an interesting point around that is again like thinking about the information that you've got and the context that you're seeing things in you know like um it's perfectly reasonable for some for a coach to be like you got out in a really stupid fashion then if it was a bad shot option not just a creative one but if it was just well actually i know he's bowling like this and the fielders are like that she's fielding over there and there's a quick keeper here and i know that i don't hit very well down the ground so this was my best option that's an amazing conversation to have, even if it's gone badly. Yeah. And we talk about that a lot um, with our, with, with Di and the team as well on um, using, using games, which maybe aren't their highest level of play. Um, so they've got players who might be playing for their um, regional first team in the women's game, but then also playing for a regional academy, but also playing for a county age group team and also playing for a school and maybe also playing for a club. How are we getting the most out of those games? And those are often games where we talk about getting players to uh, think about those things, try different things, impose themselves on the opposition, make certain things happen, try different shots in different scenarios where it might feel a slightly less high risk to you. Um, so there's some interesting stuff. But cricket, I think, is if you go and do your cricket courses now, there's an awful lot of conversation around this kind of thing, which is which is nice. Uh, got me thinking a lot there around, like, yeah, you were definitely... Practice with your on your on your less good side if you're playing in the school games, wouldn't you? Like, yeah, that'd be a good challenge. Yeah, that'd be a cool challenge. Yeah, um, every other over. And then uh, I was thinking about. I mean, again, uh, Fletch talks about this a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, cricket's quite traditional, but like, yeah, the new versions of the game, like, yeah. they, they necessitate skill and anticipation, yeah. and yeah. like, you've got to score quickly. Um, yeah. you, you probably get some pretty, you know. It's like watching a highlight reel. I watched T20 the other day and I was like, I'm watching the highlights or an actual game of cricket. This is really yeah. Um, so I think it must be quite challenging for coaches. Yeah, for sure. Um, possibly more challenging than other versions of the game. But again, like netball has fast fives, like mm. rugby's probably moving away from sevens. Mm. But again, we probably need a more dynamic, quicker version of the game that like brings yeah. to life some of these skills, to be honest. Yeah. And, and in, um, in the like the long formats of cricket, bowling something really consistently, for example, it's the most important skill, but potentially not bowling it really consistently is the most important skill in the back end of a T20, for example. So it does really teach you to have to have a, a broad skill set if you're playing different types of the game. I have conversations about this with dancers, actually, about people who do like contemporary ballet, street dance, um, learning all these different types of skills and being able to then implement them in their kind of primary um in their kind of primary in their primary skill set or their primary form of dance for example happens all around um and actually you see someone like joss butler captain of england right now you can lots of conversations about his hockey play in his shots as well knowing that he can hit certain deliveries in a certain fashion so it's it's really a yeah, we've gone a bit away from anticipation, I think, but kind of still talking about the information that's in the game here. Uh, and in the short formats, you 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 are, as Cam said, overloading it a little bit. Yeah. And, and, and I guess also, like, just yeah. starting to touch on, like, the, we touched on the, like, uh, the psychological skills for coaches, perhaps, but also for players to actually 
yeah feel safe to like try this stuff and then because you're gonna have to go and put it into a game yeah sure leads into the vr a bit nicely i'd yeah, say rusty VR, tell me like, <laughs> i wrote down some of the stuff you're using vr for and yeah. it's, it's not just computer games it's like yeah. physio phobias uh tactical stuff in cricket anticipation how's um well, well, I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Like, and I, I know I said it, it'll become the modern day GPS. My experience of we first started using GPS with sevens fifteen years ago, sixteen years ago. I still don't think people know how to use it. Quite frankly, I think people have it. They get sheets of data, and it, it, it sometimes leads. I mean, it's I've seen it lead to people like doing uh, multiple warm up laps to get their distance up. Uh, <laughs> I've seen it, you know, leading to people doing a sprint at the start yeah. of the session just to get their top speed up. Um, what, what what gets measured, like, influences their behaviour, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, with that in mind, like, where do you think it'll be in 10 years or do you just, like, experimenting now? Yeah, we're, it's really, it's still really early stages. Like, it's not a mainstream technology. Most of the players and coaches who I go and see have never put a headset on before. Um, but it's a little bit different to GPS in that it's not just um, more data. It, it's um, it's more of a skill training device than a data source, although it could be a data source. Like we can already automatically give you the head and hand position for every shot you play from that's in the VR. But actually, right now, and I think forever, it will be about doing stuff that you can't do in real life. GPS is an addition to stuff you're already doing in real life and giving you more data from it. The VR is new things that you can't already do. For example, be involved with training when you're injured. In cricket, the huge thing is all those things we've just talked about, you basically can't do in the winter in this country, but in pretty much most um, cricket playing nations, there is a significant off season where you only train indoors, where there's never facility to have a full field setting for example so you don't get that information you often don't have a score you often don't see all the contextual factors so the real interest in cricket so far has been in being able to see game scenarios from a first person perspective in an in a um, interesting and enjoyable fashion in the winter which is not replacing anything apart from potentially doing exactly the same practice but using a whiteboard to try and describe the scenario, you can put a headset on and see it. Um, and you can either do that with 360 videos where you could actually watch real life footage, which is one way, or you can do it with actual virtual reality, which means it's immersive and you can hit the ball, you can pass the ball, you can throw the ball, whatever training you're doing. So we might set up specific game scenarios against a specific type of bowler on a specific type of wicket with a specific field setting and a score and say, well, what's going on here? And then the players can actually play out the scenario, hit the ball, score the runs, win the game in the winter when it's not available to them, or potentially when they're injured and can't run, for example. Um, so there's lots of these things where we're doing things that you can't already do. What I would never see the value in is trying to do something which you could do on the training field in a virtual setting, which is never going to be the same as real life. They are getting like better and better, and they're affordable now. It's you can get a headset without needing a PC, which was a huge barrier and that doesn't have a cable for £399 is the current price of an Oculus Quest 2 or Meta Quest 2. Um, and you don't need a computer, you can just download stuff onto it. Um, but we don't know how to use it yet. So the conversations we're having at Cricket are, 
let's try a few things out, get the players to have a go, give us some feedback, get the coaches to have a go, give us some feedback, let us know what they want to do. Then we'll do some studies where we measure whether it actually makes you better at anything. Um, but for me, like that key in rugby, like what can't you do in rugby which you want to do more? And it might be that it's stuff that's too dangerous, for example. So in cricket, the fast bowlers don't bowl very often because it's bad for their body and you don't bowl short very often in training because it's dangerous. So we were showing um, the England under-19s women some fast bowling, which is we can set the actual speed. So we can say we're going to set this is an 85-mile-an-hour delivery. We have real-world physics in the game. You've never seen anyone bowl 85 miles an hour at you before, but you know it's not going to hit you, but it's still bloody scary. Um, And that's, again, stuff you can't do in real life. So I don't know about what it'd be in rugby. Lots of people are starting to develop tactical things for football as well, where you're seeing tactical stuff in a more immersive fashion, make it more interesting. But I'm not sure that's really replacing something that you couldn't do in real life. I don't know what you, what would you see that, that being in rugby? Yeah, I'm thinking it's a great question. I guess uh, it might be that, I mean, one of the big things is like load, isn't it? So Mm. they might actually go, look, we're going to, we're going to have a, some, some, you know, so if I'm a prop forward, often I'll be involved off an edge rook yeah. and I'll have to make a decision based upon the pictures in front of me and the yeah. people around me. And, and and they're actually quite probably quite a limited number of decisions I'll make. I'll yeah. put it inside, I'll pass it shorter. And it might just involve a couple of steps. And yeah. again, we can, I guess we can vary the pace at which the defence comes towards us. So we start to understand depth. Mm-hmm. might be something like that. I guess it could be like, because with line-outs, for example, unless, you know, you might go, look, we, we've got variable... It gives me variable targets. You know, we've got avatars of the people in our team, and I know that mm. I throw this one slightly lower than yeah. this. So I guess you could do some mm. stuff like that. And then start to think about one of the great challenges in rugby is that as scrums get introduced, um, that the coaches haven't coached anything that helps them with their body movement stuff or mm. like holding a strong shape. Um now, of course, they could do, they could do that, but that sometimes that's done in quite boring ways. And I know you were speaking about you said it's like interesting and enjoyable, but actually almost being able to play some games that yeah. like where you requires you holding a strong body shape to play it, but yeah. makes it even more playful. Like almost doesn't feel like rugby training. Cause the no. other thing is those kids are often playing in the winter. So when they yeah. go outside, like yeah. you often want to keep them moving around mm. and all of that. And actually it might be just something that, you know, you can mm. plug on in your house at home and it's yeah. like, yeah. So some game. You made a really good point about gamifying there. The only kind of good literature that's come out so far in terms of research base is that ability to do something really specific that you couldn't really do in real life and make the perfect level of challenge at that task. So we can program the game to make it harder or easier based on what you're doing. We already do that in loads of other types of games um, and that can happen automatically. So what we're doing with cricket is actually we're planning to run a system where we're going to send a bunch of people home with headsets. Um, where they're doing it outside of training time. And that load thing is interesting. The other thing, when you were talking about the the prop at the edge of the ruck there, is that practice would require loads of other players who aren't there really getting anything out of it. So you could be doing that practice and you are getting something out of it, but not taking your time away from your teammates, for example. Yeah. Which, which is another kind of important element that you might be able to bring in. Um, and I think in 10 years' time, we'll all be doing this all the time. But we won't be doing it instead of all the training that you're doing right now. We'll be doing it in addition to. So we have to consider the, the cognitive load that we're putting our players under if we're going to send them home with a headset after they've been at training all day. 
like that's not really an appropriate thing to do necessarily i'm not a huge believer in homework either i won't lie um but you know like it's it's going to be another option to train stuff in that you can't really do in training or you can't do because you're injured or it's too much time for other people in cricket the the coaches get terrible injuries on their shoulders and elbows because they throw so many balls at their players mm. stuff like that and that's a huge resource like you've got a really skilled person here who's a really great coach spending a lot of their time throwing balls at people when they could be doing maybe something that is more valuable or uses their skill sets a little bit better so that, that all those elements will come together. And I think we're going to end up needing products or, or devices or apps. You can download the cricket stuff that I'm involved with as an app already. It's $9.99 on an Oculus, but it's more of a game right now. But you can choose a bowler type. You can say, I want to face a left arm over on a hard wicket bowling short. You can already do that. Um, but you're going to need to be specific. Like the first thing people will do is just put on a headset and just play the same game but in a less realistic fashion, but it's quite novel. So one thing we do is we just take the headsets along, get everyone to play with them for a while, get that out of your system, because it's bloody weird when you're in VR for the first time. It's weird, mate. I just, like, <laughs> I just, I was, when you said, mode, I did, um, yeah. we did flight simulation and I did 10 minutes. I, I couldn't yeah. go back. Yeah. I was like, feeling a bit like yeah. woozy, but also like, it was like, it was hard on the brain. It is, yeah. So you've got to, those are all things that we don't really know about yet. But I just, as I mentioned earlier, and you kind of wrote down, it's being used loads for other things already. Like um, some of my colleagues in Exeter use it for things which are too dangerous to train in real life, like bomb disposable or engineers at a nuclear power plant, surgery, for example. Um, but it's all these things that, you know, flight simulators have been going for years. It's exactly the same thing. You do it in a simulator because it's too dangerous for you to be a beginner and land at 747. Um, there's not really any difference there, but we are now getting affordable things that with cricket, we can take the headsets along and do it in a sports hall in the corner or do it in an office. So it, it's, it's practically usable now for the first time, really. You don't need to invite someone with a 5,000 pound PC, a cable, set up loads of sensors and stuff, which what it, what it was five years ago. So now, now we have an accessible not necessarily too expensive, still a bit expensive, but not really for compared to other products that clubs are buying, for example. Um, but the, the, the challenge will be, right, we're going to have to create a specific rugby scenario for this prop with these particular characteristics of these particular characters. And that is a huge job for a well-qualified computer scientist. And that's, that's, where, the, that's, that's where the cash is. So we've been using 360 video with cricket because it's easy to make. You can just get a 360 GoPro and film it yourself, but you can't interact with it. You can't hit the ball, but you can see that first person perspective. And then, and then we're trying to find ways that we can build the other stuff in an affordable fashion. Um, but that's where the cash is, is you'll, you say, well, I want this. And it's, well, that's six months of work for a decent programmer. Do you think it's going to um, in any way be used by coaches to maybe like, uh, their noticing skills or things that they're going to start looking for. And yeah. you, know, you almost could be taking part in this virtual session, couldn't you, where you, yeah. you know, you, you, you might even get two or three coaches together to actually start to get us on the same page as an example, start to think about yeah. what interventions we do, what we would. I hate to, I hate to mention it because it's kind of horrible, but you could also re coach remotely and see the entire ground around you 360. 
yeah, that's weird. Yes. Um, but no, I do think it will. I don't really know what the uses will be from a kind of coach development perspective yet, but it might again be able to be seeing. You know, you could, for example, be able to see what your session looks like from a player's perspective. Yeah, yeah. And and that would be a really interesting kind of innovation where you don't have to get one of your players to wear a GoPro all the time or something like that. Or we could create a platform where you can try out different training things that you want to do and, and see how they play out. Those kind of things I can see becoming tools as well, but they would be very high uh, investment requirements to develop those because the, of the need for them to be sport specific as well there's no good uh, in general stuff everything needs to be specific still and, and have a purpose which means it needs to be bespoke a lot of the time which is where you know vr is not there yet it's not mainstream most people don't use it the animated games are like decent they're not amazing but if you've been playing the new gta and on your ps5 and then you put a headset on it'll look like you've gone back to frogger <laughs> so like but the physics are the most important thing like is your game realistic to real life is the ball bouncing properly is it flying properly is it tracking where my hands and where my head are properly we know that you can do lots of decision making anticipation stuff with almost no like a surrounding information like point light displays for example people can tell what your body's going to do so as the games develop, those little things will get better and better. And if you download something that's been made by a big studio, they are really good. But the bespoke stuff that's available for different sports is not necessarily great. And there is products out there which are big mainstream things for sports training. But generally, they are not doing stuff that you can't do in real life. They're doing things like you receive the ball and you pass it to a hold or another player, but you're doing it in VR. And that's stuff that you could be doing in training anyway. Um, so unless you're doing it, you're just adding extra load for the same tasks, then you're not necessarily adding anything new. But if you could get players doing different maneuvers that you can't do or you wouldn't be able to practice without other people there, then there might be some value. But the specificity is the challenge. So we want to make a cricket platform where the coach can choose the scenarios, set them up themselves um, using either a kind of website in the background or something like that, and then set it and then press play and then the player sees what the coach wants them to see but that that's a, a challenging thing we're not really there yet but it's it's not unfeasible right so we'll, we, we'll jump back on in, in yeah. 2032 yeah we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll see whether you predicted the future whether like we've moved on from frogger um yeah. and and, in, and and tell me about space then come on then what, what was your answer for space uh, table football was the answer for which might sound strange because zero gravity but for a number of good reasons um, twisting skills are incredibly important if you're an astronaut for fixing stuff so um, nice. then it allows you to have something that you can instrument so we can put stuff on the table that measures force production that measures twisting force but also like we're doing right now if I'm playing against you we have to look at each other so lots of people suggested virtual reality, gaming, for example, because um, we wanted it to be recreation. They already have enough things where you have to do it. At the moment, there's recreation is things that people take with them, like Chris Hanfield taking his guitar, other people taking their cameras. Um, but we, if you think about going on tour, for example, what's the first thing that, that a sports team sets up in their hotel team room? Games, casual time together. So we want functional casual time together because at the moment recreation doesn't exist in space flight really. 
um, because of space constraints and other things. So it makes you look at each other, which is a hugely important thing from a social perspective. It's fun and you don't necessarily have to tell people you have to play this time. We can baseline people's ability at playing it as well and measure their twisting speed and stuff like that on Earth and then measure any decrements in performance that might become a problem for system operation, for example. And you can put a little lid on it and use it as a table. And space is an important thing in space. Um, so <laughs> there's, there was a, a lot of good reasons behind it. And currently there's some en engineers at Cranfield working towards making a table football that's functional in zero gravity. Um, there's a colleague who already made a zero gravity table football table for a PlayStation game. Um, so that's being kind of integrated as well. So um, watch this space, I guess. And um, we'll see what happens. It's just been a rogue thing. I didn't really have any involvement in that kind of research before, but the skill learning element of it and the integration of social psychology, the anthropology work is around recreation being important to what it means to be human. You don't want to dehumanize people when they're living in on the moon, for example. It's, you still need to understand what it means to be human. Um, and lots of the anthropology work is kind of around understanding that. So there's the social, the psychological elements, the skill elements, physiological elements of like muscle degradation for example which we can kind of measure and rate all through people playing table football if um, anyone comes up with a better solution they can send it in and yeah shout out to the two people who said bop it as well because as soon as you say twist people just hear twist it and then they uh and it immediately takes you back to playing bop it but it doesn't give you the social interaction necessarily you can pass it around but you don't have to look at each other yeah you just need a big bop it don't you it's also incredibly frustrating which isn't necessarily what you want in a, a challenging social environment either uh mate where can people get hold of you uh if they want to reach out and uh twitter while it exists um just type ollie runswick into google you see my email address king's oliver.runswick at kcl.ac.uk any questions please do reach out i'm always happy to talk to people hear what's going on on the ground in coaching um and yeah all good i love the way you said currently like twitter currently because it could go couldn't it it could go and to be honest i reckon that might be my way out of having any social media at all it's all i've got left i'm doing a week off it um, nice oh, linkedin as well actually i exist on linkedin too i don't use it loads but i'm there I'll get a notification if you add me. So, yeah, all good. Oh, right. Awesome. Look, have a great evening. Always you too. Code. I'll see you next yeah. summer. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, everyone. Cheers, mate.